Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Roseanne Pleasant. Roseanne was 35 years old when she disappeared from Spokane, Washington on September 29, 1992. When Roseanne disappeared, many people believed that she had left on her own, but her family thought she met with foul play. Seven years later, when her daughter Valerie went missing, those close to the case started to realize there may be more to Roseanne's disappearance. What really happened to Roseanne? This is Roseanne's story. So I actually had a different story planned for this week's episode, but when I came across Roseanne's story, I decided that I really wanted to cover her story for episode 29. Roseanne's story brings us to the state of Washington, which is a state that I've actually never been to, but it's definitely on my list of places to go. Now, so much of what happened to Roseanne is buried in the tragic story about what happened to her daughter, Valerie, seven years later. Now, for those who are new to the show, you may not know that I focus the stories that I tell on women that are over the age of 18. But when you tell the stories of missing and murdered women, there are many instances in which their children were also victims. And since so much of this story is a part of Valerie's story, I just wanted to give you that trigger warning that this episode will talk about the death of a child. So while doing research for the show, I came across the story of Roseanne Pleasant. And I found her story on a site that's called OurBlackGirls.com. And the website is a collection of articles about missing and murdered Black women and girls. And it really aims to, you know, spread awareness about the, you know, injustices or atrocities that have happened to these women. Now, the details of Roseanne's life, much like her disappearance, are a mystery. There are very few details about the life of Roseanne Pleasant. It's believed that Roseanne was born in Spokane, Washington in September 1957. And there are no details provided about Roseanne's upbringing or her parents. We don't know what school she went to or the things that she liked to do. We do know that she had a brother. His name was John. But by 1992, Roseanne was the mother of four children, including then two-year-old Valerie. Now, not much is known about Roseanne's other three children or who their fathers were, but 
Roseanne reportedly met Valerie's father, Brad Jackson, in the 80s. And Roseanne and Brad dated on and off for years, but their relationship was a toxic one. And Brad was reportedly abusive and had been arrested for hitting Roseanne while they were dating. But despite the problems in the relationship, in 1990, Roseanne gave birth to the couple's daughter. Now, whatever had happened in Roseanne's life had allegedly led her into the high-risk world of drugs and sex work. Now, not in all cases, but in some, the drug abuse precedes sex work, and sex work can be used to fund the addiction. And because of this, not long after Valerie was born, a judge granted full custody to Brad, despite his history of allegedly abusing Roseanne. Now, Roseanne was granted visitation, And although Roseanne was struggling with addiction, she had kept in contact with her children and she was at Valerie's first birthday party. But her relationship with Brad remained tense and Roseanne had expressed to her brother on several occasions that she was afraid of Brad. And so when Roseanne disappeared, the people close to Roseanne immediately suspected that Brad was involved. The mystery of what happened to Roseanne starts with the fact that we don't exactly know what day she went missing. Now, some reports state that she was last seen on September 29th, 1992, and some say that she was last seen on October 1st, 1992. But we do know that according to her brother, John, a week before Roseanne was last seen, she called her brother. And according to John, Roseanne called him to tell him that she was afraid that someone was trying to hurt her. She told him that she was going to take her other three children and that she was going to move somewhere south. Now, the details of who Roseanne was afraid of or why are not clear, but John believed the person she was afraid of was Brad. And a week after that call, Roseanne vanished. Now, when Roseanne first disappeared, the fact that she was a sex worker and a drug user, you know, put her case at the bottom of the list. Police initially assumed that Roseanne had either left on her own or she was still somewhere in Spokane, just not wanting to contact her family. But Roseanne's brother, John, insisted that despite his sister's issues, she would not just leave her children and not contact them. He told police about his sister's, you know, fear of her ex and how just a week before she claimed that someone was after her and that she was, you know, afraid that he was, they were going to hurt her. Now, in part because of her brother's insistence that his sister was not, you know, had not just left, the police in Spokane did look into Roseanne's disappearance. They spoke to Brad, who Roseanne's brother had, of course, told them, you know, had been abusive to his sister. But Brad was less than cooperative, and he reportedly refused to answer any of the investigators' questions. He did, however, deny having anything to do with Roseanne's disappearance and told police that Roseanne probably left on her own and he blamed her drug use and life as a sex worker as the reason why. Now, investigators did ask Brad to take a polygraph test, but he refused. Now, Brad's refusal to take a polygraph test and his lack of cooperation in finding the mother of his daughter, they did raise suspicions for investigators, but there was no physical evidence to say that Brad had anything to do with Roseanne's disappearance or any other evidence at all. Now, while searching the neighborhood where Roseanne was known to frequent, investigators find out that she was seen on September 29th at a grocery store. 
Now, there are reports that state that Brad was the last person to see Roseanne, but I couldn't find any details about whether or not that was separate from her being seen at the grocery store or whether or not Brad was with her when she was last seen at the grocery store. But either way, the information about her last known whereabouts did not help the police figure out what happened to Roseanne. Now, investigators did learn that a friend of Roseanne's, who was also a sex worker, had been shot to death not long before Roseanne disappeared. And Roseanne had witnessed the murder. And so investigators thought that perhaps Roseanne's death was connected to her friend's murder. Could someone have done something to her because of what she witnessed? Well, police initially thought it could be a possibility. I mean, perhaps Roseanne became the victim of a serial killer even. But there was honestly no proof that anything had happened at all. Roseanne's family, however, believed that they knew exactly what happened to Roseanne. They believed 100% that Brad Jackson murdered Roseanne. But there was just no evidence to support their theory. At least that's what the police was saying. Now, Roseanne disappeared in 1992. And so there were no cell phone records. Surveillance cameras, of course, were around, but a lot of businesses did not have cameras, especially on the outside. And so the ability to track someone back then without any clues or leads was virtually impossible. Now, I know that some people will hear the story about Roseanne missing and her lifestyle and will believe that her choices in life contributed to her vanishing. And perhaps maybe she just vanished on her own. Sometimes people struggling with addiction will disappear for periods of time without without contacting their family. But 20 years is not a period of time. It's an entire lifetime. And so since no evidence exists that Roseanne left on her own, then we must assume like her family does that something happened to Roseanne. I've said it once and I will say it again. Being a drug addict or a sex worker does not mean that your life matters any less. It doesn't mean that if someone kidnaps you or murders you, that people should not look for you or fight for justice for you. But as the years went by, Roseanne's case, it went cold. There were no sightings of her. She never contacted her children or her brother. Roseanne, she was just gone. But seven years later, Once again, Roseanne and Brad were back in the headlines. And this time, it was because the couple's then nine-year-old daughter was the one missing. In the years after Roseanne disappeared, the life that she left behind moved on without her. Brad, who had full custody of Valerie, lived with his parents right outside of Spokane in a community called Spokane Valley. And Spokane Valley is a suburb known for its quiet, safe neighborhoods and its good schools. Brad had become a truck driver, and Valerie was enrolled at McDonald Elementary School. Now, Brad had maintained a pretty low profile since Roseanne disappeared. He was working and raising Valerie with the help of his parents. Now, a lot of people in the small community they lived in knew Brad and Valerie, who was hard to miss with her fiery red hair. Brad eventually even started dating a woman named Danette. Now, from what I could gather, at least outwardly, Valerie appeared to be living a normal, happy childhood with her father. But looks can be deceiving, and no matter what it looks like, you never really know what's happening behind closed doors. 
And by October 1999, Valerie had just turned nine and she was a fourth grader. Now, on Monday, October 18th, 1999, Valerie was supposed to be at school, but she never made it to school that day. Instead, 911 receives this call from Brad Jackson. My location of your emergency. I can't find my daughter. Okay, how old is she? Nine. Okay. She didn't go to school today? Nowhere. Just didn't ready to go, and she went outside to play for a while because she was done early. Kind of anger. She's a white female? Yes, what a redhead. Almost seven years to the day that her mom vanished, Valerie was also gone. Now, Brad told police that Valerie had been playing outside of their home in the backyard with their dog. Brad said that he was in the basement of the home doing laundry, but that he heard Valerie come into the house and then leave through the garage door for school. He tells detectives that at exactly 8.32 a.m., he walked out of his front door and found his daughter's backpack on the front steps, but there was no sign of Valerie. He said that he immediately started searching the neighborhood where they lived. He started knocking on the doors, neighbors, he started talking to neighbors, and he did this all before he called 911. Now, in a small community like Spokane Valley, reports of a child missing sent shockwaves. Children don't just go missing in neighborhoods like theirs. And so everyone in Brad and Valerie's neighborhood started searching for Valerie. Police also started searching for Valerie. And they looked in all the places familiar to her, but Valerie was nowhere to be found. And people in Spokane Valley believed that Valerie had been kidnapped. Now, missing person flyers went up everywhere with Valerie's face, and they posted them in that community and surrounding communities. Local news stations and papers picked up the story of the missing redheaded nine-year-old. And police even received several tips from people in the community, but... Nothing was concrete, and nothing was leading them closer to finding Valerie. And so as investigators looked into different theories about what may have happened to Valerie, they learned about her mother, Roseanne. And the idea that perhaps Roseanne had returned and taken her daughter started to come into play. I mean, the fact is is that no one had seen or heard from Roseanne in seven years, And that left open the possibility that she was, in fact, still alive this entire time. I mean, maybe Roseanne had gotten clean and she tracked down her daughter and taken her, knowing that if she just popped back up, that Brad would never allow her to see her daughter. But John, Roseanne's brother, told police that Roseanne coming and taking her daughter was not a possibility. And he, in fact, believes that his sister has been dead since 1992 and that Brad was responsible. He also believes that Brad had something to do with Valerie's disappearance now, too. Now, a while back, Valerie's story was featured on an episode of Forensic Files. And in that episode, they interviewed John, who said at the time that Valerie disappeared, that he and his family believed that Brad had sold Valerie into, quote unquote, a sex ring. And he said that, you know, they thought that possibly Brad was involved with drugs and maybe owed people money. They said that, you know, Brad had been collecting a reward money for any leads about Valerie. And they suspected that he was going to use that money to then pay off any drug debts that he had. 
But as the investigation went on, detectives had a hard time finding any evidence that an abduction had taken place. No one had seen or heard anything. And so police decided to focus their attention on the Jackson home. With little evidence of an abduction, maybe John was right. And Brad did have something to do with Valerie's disappearance. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, when the police search the home where Brad and Valerie live, they find bloodstains on a pillow in Valerie's room. When investigators asked Brad about the blood, he told them that Valerie had had a nosebleed the night before she disappeared. But there was no other evidence that Valerie had had a nosebleed. There was no bloodstained tissues, there was no bloodstained rags, nothing, just the pillow. Also, while searching the home, police find medication prescribed to Valerie, which is something that Brad had not mentioned to investigators previously. And the medication was the antidepressant Paxil. But why would a child who had been described by teachers and neighbors as a happy, vibrant child be taking antidepressants? Investigators learned that Valerie had, in fact, been going to counseling, and not because her mother had vanished when she was two years old, like you might suspect. Nine-year-old Valerie was going to counseling and taking antidepressants because she did not get along with her dad's grown girlfriend, Danette Schroeder. Apparently, Danette and Valerie had a contentious relationship and they would get into arguments. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to imagine myself, you know, arguing with a nine-year-old. It isn't, you know, it's, 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 it's a child. It's a nine-year-old, you know. And she wasn't even nine, actually, at the time that this was happening because she had just turned nine when she disappeared. So we're talking about a seven, eight-year-old little girl. And I have seven-year-old boys, and I don't argue with my children. So it's it's odd that they would categorize this as arguments and and not getting along as if they were the same age. But, you know, children, they don't listen. And if you're a parent, you know this. But this woman came into Valerie's life, and instead of trying to mother this child and take care of her, she fought with her. And when it got too much, she suggested that her father put her in counseling, which resulted in her being medicated. And no other adults in Valerie's life said she was a troubled child. Just Danette. Now, the search of Valerie's room had turned up something else even more disturbing than the blood on the pillow and the antidepressants. On Valerie's bed, they find two red pubic hairs. And the pubic hairs appear to belong to Valerie's father, Brad. However, for investigators, finding the pubic hairs is not exactly a slam dunk because, according to them, pubic hair can be transferred from room to room on clothing or socks or on the bottom of your shoe. But the possibility that Valerie had been sexually abused by her own father 
makes police focus in more and more on Brad Jackson and his behavior. Now, they found it strange that he could remember every detail about what she was wearing the day that she went missing, down to the color of her socks. Now, this is actually the only part of the story that I did not find strange, because I probably could pretty much tell you what my children are wearing down to their socks on a daily basis. But for investigators, Brad's attention to detail raised red flags. And so after collecting the evidence from the home, detectives got a warrant to search Brad's two vehicles, but no evidence was found in the cars either. Now, while the community in Spokane Valley grieved for the Jackson family, they really had no idea that Brad was, you know, quickly becoming the primary suspect in his daughter's disappearance. The evidence against Brad was mounting and police were no longer looking for a stranger. They were looking for proof that Brad was responsible. And Brad was actually going to give them everything that they would need on a silver platter. Now, when police look into Brad's cars, they when they took his cars in to be searched, they didn't find anything. Instead, they left something. So investigators had attached two GPS devices to Brad's cars. And this would allow them to track his movements. But police needed to kind of set a bait for Brad so that they could, so that he could possibly lead them to where Valerie was. Now, at this point, detectives don't know if Valerie is dead or alive, but they know that her father has the answers. And so a little over a week after Valerie disappeared, the detectives on the case decided to test Brad and confront him about their suspicions about Valerie. They decided to tell Brad that they think that Valerie's dead and that they believe that Brad had something to do with it. They then tell Brad that if Valerie is dead and she's buried in a shallow grave, that it would be easier for detectives to find the body. And it worked. Not long after Brad's conversation with the detective, the GPS tracks Brad 60 miles from his home to a remote wooded area where he stays for about 44 minutes and then leaves. Four days later, the GPS again tracked Brad, but this time he traveled about five miles from his home, where he stayed for about 15 minutes and then gets back in his car and drives back to the location that he had gone four days before. Now, after getting the information from the GPS, police go directly to the site that was five miles away from where Brad and Valerie lived. And it didn't take long for cadaver dogs to find a shallow grave. Just a few feet into the ground. But there was no body in the grave. But investigators did find two plastic bags and duct tape that had blood and red hairs matching Valerie. And so next, investigators went to the second location, the one that was 60 miles away, And they searched that area, and again, cadaver dogs located grave. Except this one had just been dug. Investigators uncovered the grave, and inside, lying face down, is the body of Valerie. The grave that she was found in was much deeper than the first one. And so the detectives had spooked Brad, and so he decided that he was going to move Valerie's body to a deeper grave, and ultimately led police right to her. And during the 44 minutes that Brad was at the site on that first day, they believed that he was using that time to dig the deeper grave. 
The evidence collected from both burial sites was tested. The plastic bags found in the grave site had Valerie's blood inside, and the bags matched bags found inside the house. The duct tape found with Valerie's blood and hair also matched the roll of duct tape that was found inside the home. And so investigators had all the evidence that they really needed, but there was actually two more things that they needed to ensure conviction. Now, although police were positive that Brad murdered Valerie and all the evidence suggested that he did, the only proof that they had really was that he dumped the body. They didn't have any proof that he actually murdered her. And so they needed an autopsy to first tell them how she died, and then they needed DNA or a fingerprint to rule out whether or not someone else had helped Brad or whether or not he had done this himself. And so investigators end up sending the plastic bags that they found at the gravesite to the U.S. Secret Service for testing. Now, I had no idea that the Secret Service did things like that. I just assumed that they, you know, protect the president, protect D.C. So I actually really learned something new during this case. But at the time, the Secret Service was using a relatively new technology that would allow them to lift fingerprints from surfaces like plastic bags. And so the bags found in the gravesite were sent there and the Secret Service tested them and they were able to lift Brad's fingerprints from the plastic bag. The autopsy then revealed that Valerie had in fact not been sexually abused, but she did have bruising around her mouth and nose. And the bruising around her mouth and nose were consistent with being suffocated. Investigators believed that the bloodstained pillow found in Valerie's room was used to suffocate her. Brad Jackson was arrested for the murder of his daughter, Valerie. News of Brad being the killer shocked the neighborhood who had spent weeks searching for a little girl that they thought had been kidnapped. When, in fact, she had been dead before her father ever called 911. Investigators believe that Brad killed Valerie and then took her body five miles away and buried it and then came home and called 911 to report her missing. As prosecutors prepared to put Brad on trial, they knew that the jury was going to want to know why a father would kill his own child. And so prosecutors built their case around the theory that Brad had murdered his daughter so that he could rekindle his relationship with Danette. According to reports, the couple had broken up because of Valerie's inability to get along with Danette, and they believed that Brad was obsessed with her and that he killed Valerie so that they could be together. In fact, the day that Brad moved his body, his daughter's body, he drove past Danette's house several times. Now, Danette denied having anything to do with Valerie's death, and she said she did not know that Brad had in fact killed his daughter before he was arrested for her murder. Now, after Brad was arrested, the first person he called was Danette, and he proposed marriage to her. Now, this is immediately after being arrested for the murder of his daughter. And she did turn down the marriage proposal, and she eventually testified against him at his trial. But Brad's defense was that he did not kill Valerie. He claimed that she died of an accidental overdose of Paxil, and that he panicked and he decided to bury her instead of calling 911. But there was no evidence to support that defense. The toxicology did not show that Valerie had any abnormal levels of Paxil in her system. And so the jury did not believe Brad. 
Brad Jackson was found guilty of the first-degree murder of his daughter and sentenced to 56 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Prosecutors weren't exactly satisfied because they really wanted the death penalty. But the murder of Valerie brought Roseanne's story back into the light, and many began to believe that Brad had killed Roseanne, too. The area where Valerie's body was found was searched again to see if there was any evidence of any other body being buried out there, but nothing was ever found. The arrest and conviction of Brad Jackson did lead to Roseanne's case being reopened, but the new investigation didn't give him any more answers than the police had before. John, however, believed that Roseanne was murdered in 1992 and that Brad had buried her body at a construction site where he was working. But it's not clear whether or not police ever followed up on that lead. But we do know that Roseanne has never been found. It's been 29 years since Roseanne Pleasant went missing. She was 35 years old then, and she would be 64 years old now. I don't think it's a stretch to say that in 1992, when Roseanne went missing, that police didn't make her case a priority. They didn't search Brad's house or car back then, as far as we know. And I think that despite Brad's refusal to cooperate and his his history of violence with Roseanne, detectives really thought that Roseanne had just left on her own or that any foul play that she had met with was a result of her lifestyle and therefore destined to happen anyway. Now, despite the case being reopened when her daughter was murdered, Roseanne's case has gone cold again. And at this point, unless someone confesses, we might not ever know what happened to Roseanne. We know her ex killed their child seven years after she vanished, but that's just another tragic part of a tragic story with so many unanswered questions. Now, Brad Jackson is now in his 50s having spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. And maybe old age will compel him one day to finally tell the truth about what happened to Roseanne. Now, some people believe in generational curses. They believe that they exist. And when something like this happens to a mother and her daughter, it really makes you think about that. Now, After Valerie's body was found, Roseanne's family held a double memorial service for the two. Roseanne's family believes that she is dead. And although he has never been charged with her death, they believe that her murderer is in jail. And so, although incomplete, in a roundabout way, justice has been served. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.